I'm Pastor Joshua Kapuscinski. This is the Art of Faith podcast. We are getting close to wrapping up a series on the topic of who is Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson, if you're if you don't have your head in the sand, he is a public figure, uh, flaw, um, professor at the University of Toronto. I'm, I think they're trying to fire him right now. He got himself into the public uh, limelight through a little controversy. And this chapter is going to be dealing with that controversy that uh, catapulted him into everyone's... I shouldn't say everyone, because not everybody knows who Jordan Peterson is. But it catapulted him into the media, and uh, it made waves, and he drew a large, large drawing. It changed his life overnight. Um, and this chapter kind of deals with that. This is chapter 11. Next week, we'll wrap up with uh, chapter 12. And then, well, then I'm going to be talking a little bit more about art and having some guests back. And then we're going to jump into 12 more rules. Uh, I'm not quite sure when we're going to do that, but I need a little palate cleanser from Jordan Peterson in a minute. Chapter 11, uh, rule number 11, I mean, it's a fascinating one. Let me begin by, before I tell you what the title is, let me tell you a personal story. Uh, I grew up in the 80s, so I'm one of the Gen Xers, which is, you know, probably the best generation ever, right? Uh, we're supposed to be the saviors of the world right now. I don't know if we're doing a very good job at that, but I'm Gen X, and so I've got my, uh, I got my foundation in, in the 80s before there were the cell phones and before the internet. And so I grew up in an age that didn't have the internet. And I loved my childhood. I loved being outdoors and getting in trouble and going on adventures. I lived in uh, part of Alta Loma, Rancho Cucamonga before it was developed. So when I was a child, Alta Loma, Rancho Cucamonga became the fastest growing area in the nation at one time. And so um, basically almost, it seemed like overnight, I went from living in the sticks to living in suburbia. That's how fast it developed. And my parents were, were they are cool. They, but you know, when they raised me, they raised me as a, basically a little wild Indian. I got to do whatever I wanted to do. And there was no um, no concern for my safety, it seemed like. Uh, some bizarre things took place. Um, I, I had a pony at a, at a very young age. So I had this little pony that I would ride around all over the place and be gone all day long. And then I don't know what my parents were thinking. And they bought me, and I helped pay for it actually, but I bought a quarter horse when I was nine years old. And... Like I would run this thing as fast as I could, and it was just nuts that I that they would let me do this. They wouldn't, and I'm still bitter about this. They wouldn't let me uh, have a motorcycle, but I could I could ride a racehorse, and I I don't understand the logic in that one. But yeah, I really wanted a dirt bike, but they wouldn't buy me a dirt bike. So I had this animal that wanted to, that kicked me off all the time. So little adventurous, and my cousins were adventurous too. And my grandmother lived in Bakersfield, actually worse than Bakersfield, Oildale. Uh, Oildale is the armpit of Bakersfield. Bakersfield is the armpit of California. The other armpit is Fresno. Uh, I can say this because you know, I was born in Bakersfield. But yeah, it's like 
I just wouldn't want to live there. Great people though, uh, but just not 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 too pretty. And Oildell, I mean, just think about the name Oildell. So, uh, summer vacations, we had to go spend it with Grandma and Grandpa in Oildell. There wasn't a whole lot to do, so me and my cousins blew things up, caught things on fire, got into all kinds of trouble, made forts. I mean, we we were we just got bored and, and just and. Yeah, and there was always somebody getting hurt, and mo- usually it was my younger cousin. Uh, we all, we all, we accidentally hung him one time, so we were doing stuff on the on the playground, and he, I don't know what the situation was, but I remember he had a rope around his neck, and yeah, he just about hung himself to death. So that's the kind of life that that we lived: always bleeding, always dirty, and um, yeah, and my parents didn't really care. I remember specifically in there was a park near my grandparents' house and they had the typical uh, swing sets, the nice tall ones where you could actually, you know, get swinging on them and jump off and get some good height. So those were cool. Uh, They don't exist anymore. So they had those really cool swing sets. Uh, they had really nice, steep slides, the metal ones that burned your skin off in the summertime. Uh, those were nice. They had the, uh, the merry ground, the, the, the horses on the big springs and you just, you know, you go back and forth on these springs. And of course me and my cousins, we would, you know, pull that, you know, we put somebody on it and then we'd squeeze that spring back as far as we could. Then we'd let it go and set somebody flying on it. So these are the types of things that we played with. But the best toy, the best playground toy uh, that I still dream about to this day, I'm not exaggerating, I dream about this toy, and it was a merry-go-round, but it wasn't your typical merry-go-round. There might be a few of these um, you know, pull-push merry-go-rounds that are still in existence today, but they're usually really slow. This merry-go-round that was in my, uh, that was in Oildell, uh, that most likely was built by some oil rig worker and not an actual playground company because it didn't seem all that safe. It was basically a big, giant metal disc on a spinner, and it had no rails. It was the most awesome toy in the world. And why I still dream about it is because me and my cousins would time ourselves on this thing. We would begin to run on it, and we would see how long we could run on this thing without it spinning us off. Extremely dangerous, but so much fun. And like you would never see a toy like that. And I remember, I think I was probably in high school or something like that, and visiting grandparents, and they finally took that death trap out of the playground. And I was heartbroken. And I, I seriously, I still like, like whenever I'm having one of these weird dreams where I, I think I'm a kid again, I'm a kid on that on that merry-go-round risking life and limb just for that rush of seeing how long you can stay on it before it spun you off. And there's something to that. You know, there's something to um, allowing specifically young men to do dangerous things. And we just don't, we don't do it anymore. We, we, I, I didn't have, I have one child and, and it's a girl, so I didn't have a boy. I'm sure I probably would have been a rel, little reckless with a boy. But when we had Sophia and when she was a baby and we started walk, when she started walking around the house, my wife 
put foam corners on every you know corner in the house the coffee tables the the kitchen table i mean every little tiny thing there was it's like the entire house was saran wrapped because we didn't want our child uh to trip and cut her head open on, on a sharp edge and i mean we all understand that impulse to protect and that need to provide safety and of course, safety is important. You, you don't want to do stupid things, but at the same time, at, at what cost? So Jordan Peterson's title for chapter 11, let me just read it so I don't get it wrong. His title for chapter 11 is, Do Not Bother Children When They Are Skateboarding. And I don't know how, I mean, I don't know how you feel about skateboarders, um, I don't know if you view them as being a menace or if you think they're cool. Um, his story in the chapter is that he used to have an office that overlooked, um, you know, part of the university where there were lots of stairs and 20 feet of rail and, and skateboarders doing what skateboarders do, doing dangerous things, uh, impressive dangerous things for the that ultimate uh sense of accomplishment and the rush of pulling something off i was a I, I, even though i grew up in the 80s i was a terrible skateboarder like it, it it only took me a few times to figure out that that was not my thing and so i never did i never got into the skating thing even though i wanted to but i did do some dangerous things and so he he's peterson's amazing because he's watching these young men do things that he wished that he could have done or could do. And they're, you know, they're, they do something awesome half the time. And then the other half the time they're picking themselves off the ground and they're bloodied up and, you know, they've broken an elbow or what have you. And it doesn't go well. And yet they get up and they do it again. And this is a, this is a, a trait that we just don't, we don't encourage in our culture, like in our modern day culture, we don't encourage young men to be dangerous and hurt themselves. And Peterson will say that that's a good thing. And so when the university came in and put the skate blockers in, you've seen these things and, you know, around local businesses and, and such, the, the, the little knobs that they screw into rails and on, on tops of um, concrete planters and such so that kids don't skateboard on them. Like, I can understand why you would, why, as a business owner, I can understand why you wouldn't want that. But as a father, we should we should we should allow our kids to skateboard. And I don't know, yeah, maybe put a helmet on, maybe put some elbow pads on. But like we want them, <laughs> sounds terrible. We want them to biff it. it. Not only that, but you want. I was always out. I was always trying to outdo my cousins, specifically my older cousin, who was bigger and cooler than I was. And so I was in this. Uh, not only did I love the thrill of the rush, but I was competing for um, dominance with my cousin. I mean, whether we admit that or not, that's what was really going on. I wanted to outdo him. And not only is Peterson highlighting the need for us to allow our kids to take risk and allow our kids to fail and allow our kids to hurt because that's the actual the classroom of life. Um, 
he says something that becomes extremely controversial. And this is what this is what pisses everybody off whenever they're listening to Peterson, is that he says that hierarchy is is extremely important. And so he equates this this need to allow people to take risk and allow people to compete and to establish hierarchies is foundational to a healthy society. Nobody likes to hear that. Nobody likes to think that um, you know, there's, a, there's somebody at the top and there's somebody at the bottom, but I, I'm not going to be able to, to illustrate it the way that he can. But basically he says that that's just what culture does. Culture establishes hierarchy, and culture, no matter what the culture is, whether it's an American culture, a French culture, uh, a Buddhist culture, um, a feminist culture, a masculine culture, whatever culture is dominant, that culture will eventually become oppressive. Like, again, I, I can't, you're going to have to read the chapter. You have to read the book, but he just basically says that culture becomes oppressive no matter what it is. So meaning that there's going to be in any culture, there are winners and there are losers. And that is a, that is a unpopular thing to say. And so he goes back to the concept of Cain. So uh, I think I probably opened this series up on talking about uh, the offerings that Cain and Abel presented. Um, Abel's offering was a piece of meat. It was um, it was part of God's creation that that Abel sacrificed to the Lord, and it was acceptable and pleasing. In Cain's offering, Cain gave a portion of what he grew, and that's what was not acceptable to God. And so, uh, Peterson will talk about this idea of the spirit of Cain that will come upon a society or even a person that believes that they are entitled to something more because uh because of what because of who they are and and um because of a, of a concept of justice meaning that hierarchy isn't important and so Cain becomes very um anti-hierarchy. Jordan will say that Cain becomes very anti-human, meaning that he wants to bypass uh, the human experience in, in order to get stuff that he did not earn. And so in his way, of course, Peter circles back and goes after and attacks the concepts of Marxism, communism, and socialism that say that uh, everybody needs to be on equal ground. And so what's unpopular about what he says is that he attacks these philosophies, these modern-day philosophies of equity and inclusion, um, uh, making sure that everybody is that, that equal and that everybody's on a, the, 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 the equal playing ground. Now, what got him in big, big trouble was what he, was he, what it, what he did on the equality of men and women and in the area of, of pay. Oh my gosh. I don't even think I can, 
Yeah, I don't even think I want to address that. I'll let you look it up. But Peterson talks about how um, men and women, um, like equality is obviously an important thing to him as individuals. But then he'll go ahead and highlight that that men and women just do different types of jobs and have different types of expectations. And so he doesn't think that there's an inequality in the pay gap between men and women that's justifiable. Maybe here and there, but... I mean, he made a very compelling argument in the order of hierarchy. And so he begins to show us uh, the construct of the patriarchy, which is another huge buzzword. The irony, the interesting thing is that this was written before uh, these major conversations about the patriarchy have, have existed. Uh, this was written before this gender equality and pronoun issues came into light. Uh, this, so he 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 he's almost prophetic in addressing these social issues that are now dominant in our in our current culture. So, um, he will go on to say that oh, this is so unfair, but this is just, this is true. Is that not everybody should be treated? equally just based upon who they are or what they do let me let me highlight let me just say this in his own words and let me just quote a little bit from from peterson because i think that i'm going to stick my foot in my mouth on this one okay uh here's the question how can we decide if competence applies equally to both men and women so um, two different people, they're both competent in the same skills, they should get paid the same. But this is what he says. Uh, Peterson deciphers gender inequality in three stages. One, and this is a quote from, this is him, the claim that all gender differences are a consequence of socialization is neither provable or disprovable in some sense. Because culture can be brought to bear with such force on groups or individuals that virtually any outcome is attainable if we are willing to bear the cost. Okay, next one. The introduction of the equal pay for equal work argument immediately complicates every salary comparison beyond practicality for one simple reason. Who decides what work is equal? Okay, so he's going to say this is different types of jobs. For example, um, you know, men and women ought to be paid equally. Uh, but if you're um, if you're a uh, if you're an oil rig worker like my grandfather was in oil dell, and you're moving around these big giant machines, and and then you're trying to fix them with gas and flames, and you get blown up, and you need a certain amount of upper body strength to even handle these things. Uh, not to be sexist, but most women can't do it physically. They can't. They can't do it. And so that's that's what he's saying. And then he says, group identity can be fractured right down the level of the individual. Okay. If they're healthy, oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. Don't worry, gals. We'll 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 get to the other side of the, the question here pretty soon. 
So it's basically he'll he'll present the, the social structure in a supply and demand type of a situation. There's certain jobs that require certain skills they had to pay paid uh, uh, appropriately. Again, I'm doing a terrible job arguing this. Just, um, he's got this famous debate on BBC News that you need to check out. That's amazing. Okay. Um, then he talks about uh, the confusion of genders and for good or ill he highlights the truth that gender relationships and gender identity uh is in it's in it's upside down it's in a bit of a crisis mode and so he highlights the truth the data that majority of people that go to university are now women and that a majority of communication style jobs, manage, management jobs, relationship types of jobs are going towards men. Now, yes, um, all of the big buck jobs, the, the high-powered CEO type of jobs, those are majority men and, of course, white male. And so that's where the skew is coming from. But in middle management and middle class, uh, he notes that that women are ruling the the <laughs> ruling the roost. Uh, women are are taking control over those sectors, and they're they're definitely dominant inside of uh, the university system. And more and more men, more and more boys, are not wanting to or not identifying with university or college. And that's a new phenomenon. This is something new that is taking place. In addition to that, it's really screwing up um, relational dating relationships and marriage relationships. Um, in in that the concept of hierarchy has been turned upside down, and women traditionally. Um, oh gosh, how am I going to say this? I hope my wife doesn't listen to this. Uh, women traditionally need men because uh, they're going to have kids, and when they have kids, they're in women naturally are in a vulnerable state, and so they they and again, this has changed, but this is what the tradition was. This is what the the nature and the nurture was. Is that when a woman uh, gave birth, she she did not have the power to protect herself or to provide for herself. And that's why she needed a dude to do that. Now, again, of course that's all changing these days, but he says that that, that uh, hierarchy has changed. And because of that change, there is a vacuum of meaning and purpose, uh, specifically a young, um, among young men. And so Peterson is pointing out that, that men, that the modern man, if they're not the high-powered CEO, that they're finding themselves in, generally speaking, in a bit of identity crisis um, because of what society has done. Um, gender roles, gender identity, 
Peterson will argue, is not a social construct, specifically in the, in the areas of men, biological men, biological women. It's not a social construct. It's not determined by what culture says. It's biologically true. And so that right there, of course, is controversial, specifically nowadays when you can pick whatever gender you want to be. And if you don't like the genders that are out there, you can literally make up a new gender. And so he's, he's, he's challenging those social construct ideas, which he will say is breaking down the foundation of a healthy society. We need to, he would say, and I would say, we need to get back to healthy gender identity roles. Again, gender is not a construct. It is a reality. Okay, so, and so from that, uh, what would be the identity of the male gender? And what is the role and what is the purpose? And so he's going to circle back around to the idea that you need to allow uh, men to skateboard and to, to be dangerous and to, to kind of to live on the edge a bit. So he's going to say, like, that's what that's what guy needs. That's what guys need. Now, he will say, of course, that there are there are women that that want to skate and ride down rails, too. It's like he's, he says that that does happen and that is good. But a majority of the skaters, the ones that are doing the backflips off about on mountain bikes, the ones that are scaling, you know, half dome and they're doing it free solo. I mean, majority of them are men. There are women that do it, of course, but a majority of them are men because this is what they need to do. This is what they desire to do. Um, The disparaging uh, facts about relationships between men and women and nowadays is that women don't necessarily need men to be provided for in this economy they can make it on their own they don't need a guy and i'm not saying that's bad i'm just saying that's true and so from that uh, we've got a lot of guys that just can't make that connection to women because you know they're having a hard time the thing about man i'm gonna get so much trouble on this one uh, the thing about gals is is that they they want to have their career, they want to have their purpose, um, they want to be able to provide for themselves. And I know I have a daughter; I want her to be able to do that too. So I want to empower my daughter to the best of her abilities. Um, but they again back to the concept of hierarchy, and this is data. This is truth. Gals will date at their social economic level or higher. This is what they all tend to do. This is what all the numbers tend to point to is that gals will either date across their, their spectrum or once, you know, or as high as they can go. Ironically, guys, when they date, they don't care. So rarely do they go up though. They, most guys don't date above their pay grade. Um, but they will date at their level and they will go down lower. And so now we've got like these, these ships that are passing in the wind. And this is why it's it's probably more difficult to find a mate nowadays than it ever has been. But here's the truth. Um, women, if they are healthy women, they don't want, they don't want to marry a boy. Uh, they want men. So they want to be able to provide for themselves. But at the same time, uh, you know, they want to provide for themselves. They want their career. They want to have their kid. 
Um, but they also want to be married to a man because they don't want to have to take care of a child and a grown-up man. So I think we could probably understand that idea. Peterson goes on to say, they want someone to contend with, someone to grapple with. If they are tough, they want someone tougher. That's what women want. I Gosh, this is, this is coming from a guy. Um, if they're smart, they want someone smarter. Don't tell my wife that. Um, they desire someone who brings to the table something they can't already provide. So do you guys think that that's true or not? Do you think that women uh, want to marry or go after somebody that's smarter than them, tougher than them, um, that can bring something to the table that they can't? They're saying that that's the underlying need that they want, whether they vocalize it or not. I know that's tricky, but guys aren't necessarily that same way. You can see why this is controversial stuff. So let me let me wrap up with the very beginning of the title because I think that it could help. I think that, you know, again, specifically in the category of men, uh, we need to allow men to be men and to hop on playground merry-go-rounds that don't have any rails on them. We need to allow men to skate and uh, fall off of planters and hurt themselves. We need we need to allow that expression of masculinity. I guess there's, oh, that's toxic masculinity. I don't even think that the term toxic masculinity is appropriate. I don't even think it exists. It's either something is masculine or it's not. And so this is something that 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 men are struggling with. And so... You know, for those of us that are raising young boys, uh, I don't, I don't think that we need to put foam on every single corner for them. They need to be able to, they need to be able to take a little risk and and feel a little pain here and there. Uh, we we can't continue to have this coddling culture where we're over uber protective about everything that happens and you know every situation and and drama and life and and not give them the the mental and spiritual fortitude to do hard things and i think that that's what peterson's ultimate goal is when he's trying to describe the importance of hierarchy he's trying to say that we're not all equal and men and women they're not equal they're just different and i hope i'm saying that the right way without being offensive but um, I think there's some biblical support for that in the con in the biblical concept of a relationship between a man and a woman. Uh, the biblical concept is the, is that the man is the head of the family. Um, don't preach that that often, but it's true. That's what the Bible says. The man is the head of the house. Uh, this is, <coughs> nobody likes to hear this, but, um, the, the, the actual definition is that the women is to submit or follow the lead of the husband. No one likes to talk about that. But again, it's a concept of hierarchy. Uh, but then the Bible is beautiful, and then it circles it back, back around in that a man must love his wife. Uh, 
as he would love himself, meaning that a man, a biblical man, will put his own needs um, below the needs of his wife and family because he loves them as he loves himself. So it's a circular biblical relationship that we probably have lost contact with. And uh, when I figure out how to get it back, I'll let you all know. But this is fascinating that, that Jordanson sees this importance of hierarchy, of, um, of allowing risk to take place, of allowing that this is that risk and competition are good in establishing hierarchy. And if you don't do it, then um, well, frankly, you just don't want to play. Years later, uh, you know, like I said, when I returned to the playground, hoping to take another run, at the merry-go-round without any rails. Years later when I returned, um, it just wasn't fun anymore. They replaced it with a safe playground. And the studies show this too. They, they show that, that playgrounds that don't have jungle gyms or monkey bars, uh, uh, parallel bars, things that you fall off of and you can get you know your wind knocked out of you, like they, they just don't get played with anymore. And I think that overall, that's probably maybe the huge disconnect for a lot of people is that everything is so equal, everything is too fair that there's no reason to play anymore. And I think that myself and Peterson, of course, is like, yeah, we need to let people play. So uh, allow your kids to skateboard. Um in your workplace, let let's just everything's not equal, but let's compete. Let's let's see who can stay on the merry-go-round the longest. Let's that, that's good for us. That's just the reality of culture. There's winners and losers in culture. So um, that's rule number twelve. I hope I did a decent job in describing it. Uh, again, there's lots of talks about communism, socialism, and Marxism in this chapter, and I, I encourage you to follow up on it. I'll see you next time. Rule number twelve, and we'll wrap up the twelve rules of life. See you next time. God bless.